Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, bro, for the songs. You want to turn to Titus 2. We'll be there in a moment. I composed this lesson for all of us who have questions for God. Anybody here have questions for God? I'm not trying to give you the answers that God would give you in specific situations, but I am trying to give you some answers here about why life is the way it is and about why life has to be the way it is. You know, we, uh, we ponder and think, uh, you know, about things that happen to us. Why did I have that accident that caused me to lose my job? Why did my wife leave me? Why did my daughter leave the church? Why did my best friend die at age 42? You know, we say, God, I was faithful. I served. I prayed. I believed you. I believe what you wrote in your word. So why did that happen? I think there is an answer to that, but like I said, not specifics. And that's what we want to explore this morning. Titus 2.11, this is just to give us the groundwork, and then we're going to be in John 11, talking about Lazarus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And here in here is the key, I think, to the answer to our question. From the beginning, it was God's intent and purpose to have offspring. In fact, we read in another place, we are the offspring of God. We're made in his image. He wanted children. He wanted his own people. As this here is written by Paul, people for his own possession. And in planning those people, you know, when God created, he, he had the, his plan in mind, his purposes in mind from the very beginning. Even uh, the death of his son, that was the, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But he had to decide about what, what those people would be, their composition. Would they be like clones, droids? Many of you are familiar with the Star Wars uh, genre. Robots, which would obey and do just exactly what he said, programmed, adoring but mindless. And as I was thinking about this and putting it together, uh, it came to mind those pictures of uh, the rise of Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany. 
So many of you, I think I've seen those films. We have all the crowds there and everybody just, you know, Heil Hitler and everybody was on the same page and there was just a mindless response to him. Nobody dared question what was going on. And those that did, you know, they disappeared in a hurry. Was that the kind of people God wanted? Or was it the people he would give a freedom of choice and actually give us the opportunity to choose to love him or not? To display our own hearts in response to his love for us? Well, I think we know the choice that God made. It was the latter, wasn't it? That he made us free, as we say, free moral agents to choose. Are we going to serve God or not? Are we going to believe God or not? Are we going to do his will or not? Those are the people he wants. Those who willingly and freely and purposefully want to follow God. Those are the people he wants. And that's what this passage here is talking about. A people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. Those who uh, deny the ungodliness, the worldly desires, and live righteously and godly. They want to do that. Their heart has been changed to love God and to love his ways. These are the people God wants. We can turn to John 11 now. And we know that by giving us that choice, God understood we wouldn't always choose right. And he had planned for this, as we said, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, so that he would enter into this creation as Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, to rescue us to glorify himself in all of this, in being willing to die so that we might live. So we know what happened with Adam and Eve, and they listened to the serpent and made the wrong choice. But God had that plan from the start to bring us back, to give us forgiveness, salvation, and that we would respond to his love for us as we saw here at the table, remembered every Lord's day, that God was willing to die so that we might live. And we would respond to that love, that sacrifice. Those are the people he wants. In John 11, we have the narrative, the historical record, the biblical record of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And I'm not going to read every verse of this. I'm encouraging you to go home this afternoon or this evening and take some time and read this all through and reflect on what we say this morning. Because I think there are a lot more lessons here than just the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The first verse. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Right here, right here off the bat, we see sickness is in the world. And sickness came into the world because of the curse, didn't it? We read there back in Genesis. The world was cursed. Death came into the world. Uh, that was the penalty for disobeying God. And you know, here we have Lazarus of this family that Jesus had grown very close to, apparently spent a lot of time with. He kind of, it seems like he went there to uh, refresh, renew, and relax just to be among friends. Uh, so he was very close to this, to this family. And notice that uh, she says in her, her little message to Jesus, he whom you love is sick. All right, now don't take that to mean God you know, only loves certain people, but there was this close relationship that Jesus had with these, these three, this brother and these two sisters. And, of course, sickness was all around Jesus. We know that. And uh, he healed all those who came to him. And so we're aware and well aware, as was Martha, Mary, and even the people who are around the tomb, later on you read in the chapter, well knew that Jesus could have healed Lazarus from the sickness. In fact, verse 3 is kind of like their prayer to him, you know. This was not just for information, okay? They sent word to him somehow, somebody, probably a, a servant, perhaps. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. They wanted him to come and heal Lazarus. That's what is inferred here, implied. It was their prayer. You ever prayed that prayer for somebody that was sick, ill, terminal diagnosis, or even someone who is caught up in sin and wickedness and evil, which is, again, the things we should really be thinking about and praying about, the salvation of souls. And we cry out, Lord, do something. Lord, come, help, heal. Help get, get them out of this situation. And it just appears God is silent. Right? Nothing happens. Nothing changes. And the end is played out. And we wonder, why? Just a little story. It's a big story. I think tells us why. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place 
where he was. How odd. Here again we see he loved them. He loved them. Why doesn't he go and heal Lazarus? So he might not die. Well, what he says is there's something else going on. There's something else here that has a higher priority than the healing of Lazarus. And that is that the glory of God, the Son of God, may be glorified by what's going to happen. God had his purposes. God had his reasons. Something was more important than healing Lazarus. God always has purposes. God, you know, we read back there in Isaiah, his ways are above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. And we always have to humble ourselves before him and say amen. Father, we don't know everything you see or everything you know or where you're going with something, what your purposes are, what the end result is to be. Or what you know about the future, Don, just let us in that song. But we can only trust and understand that God is working good in whatever happens. And terrible things happen in the world. Deaths and disease and troubles of all kinds. But God is overseeing it all. And he's taking responsibility for it. We have to believe and trust God. As one author says, think noble things of God. God is not evil. God is not wicked. And because these things happen, we should not think any less of him. He has purposes. Let's jump down to verse 11 has a little discussion here with his disciples about Lazarus. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Jesus, in fact, knew what had happened to him. But I go so I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, let us go to him. A little discussion about the state of the dead. I don't want to get into it here. We had that discussion uh, few months back on Wednesday night about the state of the dead. Are they asleep, as this tells? But anyway, we can see here some of the tension in verse 15 about what Jesus is doing. He loved them. It's stated. But he says, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. That I was not there. Now you kind of wonder about that, don't you? If he loved them, and now he knows that Lazarus is dead, is that not a bad thing? 
But he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Verse 21. So they go to the place. And this is his discussion with Martha, one of the sisters. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew he could heal. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Of course, he had taught that, and she understood that, and she believed there was going to be a resurrection on the last day, a judgment day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, there's a, one of the key and great teachings here of all scripture, and certainly in this narrative. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's all about him. He is the one who will bring it about. He is the one who will die and be raised from the dead. He is the one who will conquer death. He is the one who will come back from the Hadean realm. I am the resurrection and the life, he says. You're looking at me. Resurrection and life exist in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not some nebulous entity out there. It's not some word on a page. It's in Christ Jesus. That's where resurrection and life are. And he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And we have to ask, what death is he talking about? A physical death of this body or some other death later, we read about a second death. Death of body and soul altogether. Never die. He poses the question to her, do you believe this? The question for all of us, do you believe this? You believe it with all of your heart and soul. That resurrection and life exists in the person of Jesus and no one else. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. A great confession. Peter made the same confession. It's the foundation of life in your future is the Christ, the anointed one of God. So Jesus talks to her about who he is, that he is the resurrection and the life. Let's move down to verse 32. There's a discussion with Mary, the other sister. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's exactly the same words. She believed the same thing. You could have healed my brother, kept him from dying. And now we're going to start to see 
Jesus' response here and Jesus' heart in this whole situation. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Some of the other translations there have chafed in spirit. He was disturbed. And the footnote in the ESV said he was indignant. He was angry. Righteous anger. Jesus knew what he was going to do here. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that. So why is he so troubled? Why is he so disturbed in his spirit? Have you ever paused to question that? You know, I remember when he brought back the little girl. When he walked into the room, he says, why are you weeping? Remember that? He says, Halithakumi, arise. But this is different. He's upset. He, he's troubled. He's angry. I think what's going on here First of all, he truly felt for their grief because he loved them. And this is something that we should always remember no matter what's going on with us, what kind of trouble there is, what kind of problems, uh, any kind of grief. Someone is diagnosed with a terminal illness. Someone has just passed away. Don't ever think that God does not feel your grief and pain because he does. He knows who he made. He loves every one of us. Don't ever think he's just casual about it. He's just stepping back and saying, I don't want anything to do with them, or that's just the way life is. I'm sorry about that. That's not God. He's with you in your grief. Jesus was with them in their grief. Even it says... 34, and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why are you crying, Jesus? You purposely stayed away so you would not heal this man, and you let him die. You caused Lazarus to experience death and his sisters to be in this state of grief, and all his friends. Why did you do that? And I think he's feeling that because he had that purpose in mind that there was something more important to be accomplished here, and this is the only way it could be accomplished, that, they, that Lazarus had to die and they had to experience this grief. And that's how, in part, 
God shapes a people for himself. We have to face these troubles and trials of life and endure them. He is not going to lift all of these things out of our lives because he is shaping a certain kind of people that he wants. Those who will live righteously, those who will fight against evil, those who will endure the onslaughts of the devil, and they won't quit. They won't give up. They will continue to believe in God. They will continue to love God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their mind, and all of their strength, no matter what happens. Those are the kind of people that God wants. But he understands it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But in the end, but in the end, the blessing will be unbelievable. I think that's what this story is really telling us. I think you can see it in the Lord, why he's so upset, why he's indignant. he's, He's like, I know this is hurting these people that I really love, but it has to be this way so they will see my power and have a greater faith in me. That's what's happening here. And we all experience this on some level ourselves when we come face to face with all these pains and disappointments in life. It's a test. It's a test. Verse 36, so the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. He just wept, and yet, yes, he did. But it had to be because of what was going to happen, what had to happen. 37, but some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Even they understood that. They knew Jesus. Martha said it, Mary said it, now these, yeah, they could have, he could have kept them from dying. But they're evidently not attributing to him at this point the power to raise the dead, even though he'd done it before. 38, so Jesus again being deeply moved within, it's the same words, troubled, disturbed, this just, conflicted about all the situation. It had to be, but I'm really upset that it has to be this way. Came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. I'd like to have heard how he said that. Move the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. Truly dead. Jesus said there, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? This is what this is all about. For their sake, 
the sake of all the Jews around there, for you and me. They had to endure this grief, and Lazarus had to die for us to see this great miracle. So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Prayer to his Father to give him the power at this point to raise him from the dead. So thank you, Lord, that we can do this. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that voice went beyond the tomb. As you know, it went to the depths of Hades, because that's where he was. And brought him back. And the man who had died came forth. The man who died. They all knew he had died. He knew he had died. Bound, hand and foot with wrappings, his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Great miracle. But it only came about at great expense. The grief and the death. That's the only way it could happen. In 45 and 46, we see the reason. It's written for us, of course, but those who are immediately there. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Evidently, they hadn't believed before, but now they do because they see this great miracle. And the miracle couldn't have happened unless Lazarus had to endure death and the grief, the attendant grief of his sisters and friends. But you see, God has greater, had a greater purpose. They had to endure that so that people would believe in Jesus. I've said this before and I'll say it again and I'll say it many more times. God is more concerned about the salvation of souls than the healing of sicknesses. And we have to remember that. I keep saying it over and over again in our prayers. We need to be attendant with that. Spiritual growth, forgiveness of sin, saving of souls. That is God's main agenda. And we see it played out in this story. And praise God, and for those not, we're not told how many believed in him because of this, but some did. Praise God. And I pray that you might believe in Christ because of what's written here. That he did raise Lazarus from the dead. But then there's the other side of the coin, verse 46. We're allowed freedom of choice. But some of them went to the Pharisees told them the things which Jesus had done. 
They want the status quo. They just want to keep everything the same. They don't believe in him no matter what kind of a miracle is going to be. He's going to enact, even raising from the dead, we're just going to go tell the Pharisees because they'll take care of this guy because he's doing things differently. So God is calling a people for himself. He's molding and shaping day by day through life, tests and trials and just seeing what we do with the time and resources that he gives us. And sometimes there's great pain and difficulty and trouble. And, but there's no other way. We read in, in Peter, Peter says our, our faith will be tested and, and in the end if it's pure and genuine it will come out like pure gold refined in a fire. But until it's tested we'll never know what it's like and God won't know either. And it must be tested. So we asked this morning if it's appropriate for you. Are you one of the company in verse 45 or one of the company in verse 46? You see that raising of Lazarus from the dead as a great miracle of Christ Jesus. But you believe in him as the son of God. Everything he said and did giving his life that we might have life become one of his people and serve him and look forward to that new heavens and a new earth? Or are you one who just kind of dismisses this and says, well, it's a nice Bible story. I'll think about it. Maybe it's true and maybe it's not. And uh, I'll, get, I'll get back to it someday. I don't know what your heart is like. But God is giving you a choice. Do you believe in him or not? Do you believe that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? If he did, what does that mean? Who can raise people from the dead? I don't know of anybody today that can do that. We have a great and wonderful medical community that all kind of medications and procedures now and transplants and everything to extend life, ease pain. But even nobody today can keep people from dying, let alone raise them from the dead. We're kind of just left with one answer, aren't we? Must be God. Must be our Creator. If you want to respond to Jesus this morning, we're ready to assist you in your obedience. If you want to accept him as Lord and Savior and be baptized, we're here to help you. If you're a Christian and maybe you've been struggling in your faith, you've been tested and things have happened and you're wondering about God, maybe you'd like prayer. However, we might assist you this morning, whether you want to come forward or speak to one of us on the way out. Please come while Brother Don leads us.